0: Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church, or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. Philippians 2, verse 5. I'm going to use this as the main text, and then we'll move through this. If you've got a text, you can follow along. I think it'll be on the screen. Here we go. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant to the glory of God the Father. John 1, verse 14 through 18. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. If we were to back up a little bit at the beginning of the chapter, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I want to set the narrative for this. This is a letter from the book of John as we jump off of this and then into Philippians. A letter from the book of John from a man who had had the opportunity to walk with Jesus. To walk with Jesus for several years in the formation of what we see as the Christian faith. An example of what it means to follow God in faith, in grace and truth. So here we see uh, somebody who's going to sit down and write a letter to us to the early church of a testimony of who Jesus was. And, And many times at the beginning of your writings, you'll put some very important things. And right here in the beginning, John is extrapolating and saying... What is some important things that I should tell these people in the early church? My brothers and sisters, what do they need to know about Jesus? Aha! In the beginning was Logos. And Logos was with God. And Logos was God. God. We translate that as word, and and, and later we see that the word became flesh. But when we use the word word, we're not talking about the Bible, the word of God. We're talking about this person that became flesh and blood. We're talking about Jesus. Come on, follow me along. John is writing that in the beginning Jesus was, and in the beginning Jesus was with God, sat with him, and oh, in the beginning Jesus was God always, forever will be. Here is this beautiful picture that John is attempting to lay out for us that we see that when we when we look at the landscape of the stories of Christ, we see Him at work through the lens that that is God in the flesh to us, Jesus. I, I want to share with you something about this. And this morning we talk about a concept the word became flesh and dwelt among us we call this phenomenon or this this the text of thought the incarnation literally meaning in the flesh jesus god in the flesh to us, I'm going to use a, a term here that you can just stick in your belt and it'll be like a holy nugget. Hypostatic union. It's a term that, that Christians uh, have to do. We, we say about Jesus that there's this union of the divine God and human in one. And it's a term that is pretty much only used for Christ, the hypostatic union. Whenever you're talking with people, you attempt to, well, who is Jesus? Was God? Was in man? You can pull that out and say, well, we believe in the hypostatic union. Of Jesus. This is who he was. You see, when we talk about the ideas of God coming in to indwell a body, why is this relative, Why is this important? And what can we pull from it? Well, here, here's the important thing it's important to know that God was in the flesh, a human body. Because oftentimes we separate Jesus and put him on a mantle and we think that, well, how would he know? Or holy, 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 we worship, we sing. But let me just share with you. The scripture says quite a bit about the conditions that he had endured. Did you know that he was hungry? Do you know that Jesus was hungry at times? Some of you are like, no way. Yeah. Do you know Jesus was a roamer? He had no real place regular to lay his head. That when the Lord said go, when God the Father said go, he went and there was no, it's like, oh, we're going to go. Oftentimes what that probably meant is they slept under the trees. When's the last time you went camping and slept under the trees and just rolled out maybe a little like your robe, just laid it out there. I went camping two weekends ago, right? Two weekends ago. And we got, a little, we got an air mattress and I can tell you, You've ever had that experience? You lay on an air mattress and it was nice and firm before, and in the morning when you wake up, you're feeling the uneven ground, and uh huh. And you wake up and you're like, oh my, oh, what just happened? I'm camping, yahoo! <laughs> Jesus didn't have an air mattress, no. just laid. And, and I know some of you are thinking, well, God infused them with power and he slept on a cloud. I don't think so. I don't think so. He was hungry. He roamed. He got tired. Yeah. He wore sandals. Upgraded flip-flops on uneven ground. You know, the disciples were with him. Do you think he might have stubbed his toe? I know it's conjecture. But what I'm saying is, is that when you walk out these doors in August, from 70-some degrees into 90 degrees first thing that hits you is what? The heat. Your body has a response to that. What is that? Perspiration. Those two things combined equal smell. (laughs) I'm telling you that Jesus lived with disciples. There was a group of men. They roamed. Water, running water wasn't available everywhere. And if it was, it might've been scoop method, right? At times, let's just think this through. Why is this important? Because we're talking about the significance of God becoming man, indwelling in flesh, and experiencing the human condition. As believers, that we need to pull away that that somewhere in the foundational thinking about what we believe about God is that he reached down from heaven, sent his son to be the atonement, for us, that he paid the price. Jesus was willing to lay down his life for us. So it helps us. It helps us to think of the narrative and then think through what Jesus would have experienced. Oh, how can I blame you, God, that you wouldn't understand because you sent your son who understood and lived it. We're talking about this idea that He, word became flesh and he took on the form Let's just dive into this a minute. So Vine's Dictionary states that regarding the word form, which is actually the word morph, is uh, properly in its right context used in a literal sense that he morphed into the human body in reality. It's an idea that, that implies that unchangeableness as far as its form. It's not possible to go from one substance to another. That that we understand that Jesus was human while he was God. That we understand that Jesus is God while he was human that we merge these ideas together and we don't let the ideas separate from themselves thus creating other gods. We don't do that. This is in the Christian life we don't do this. In fact, early Christians wrestled with this. In fact, it was the cause of great splits and schisms in the early church of how to how to how to give a narrative of what words and meanings Words matter, amen? And so in their, in their desire to, to set up the narrative of Jesus and the implications of what he did, they tried to come up with these statements and phrases and letters and books about the power of what Jesus did. I want to read you one. It's from St. Basil of Caesarea. It's letter 261. You can look it up later. It's several centuries ago. Here's what he wrote. Let's follow along. It says, If then the sojourn of the Lord in flesh has never taken place, the Redeemer paid not the fine to death on our behalf, nor through himself destroyed death's reign. For if what was reigned over by death was not that which was assumed by the Lord, death would not have ceased working its own ends. Nor would the sufferings of the God bearing flesh have been Russell our gain. He would have not killed sin in the flesh. We who had died in Adam should not have been made alive in Christ. The fallen to pieces would not have been framed again. The shattered would not have been set up again. That which by the serpent's trick had been estranged from God would never have been made once more his own. Amen. Here's what he's saying. He just took the whole theology of the gospel and inverted it so that we would understand had Christ not came and done what he did, here are the consequences, the spiritual consequences to man that we wouldn't be able to stand as people and say, I once was lost and now I'm found. I was blind and now I see. The implications of what Jesus did are earth. Shattering, groundbreaking, and as believers, it's everything. Here, there's a creed that was written in the early church. There, there are multiple creeds, and there are many reasons why these creeds were written. But I, I want to encourage you that you not easily write off write off the writings of the early church. They were people like you and I set just a few generations removed from the disciples and in the early life of Christ trying to make sense of what it was to be a Christian and what it meant to follow Jesus and the implications of forgiveness and the cross. And so, so here's one of those. The Creed of Athanasius. Okay, I said that right. Here's a part of it. Here's a part of it. It's a lot. Here's a little part, okay. It says that That we worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost is all one, the glory equal. The majesty co-eternal, such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Ghost. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, and the Holy Ghost uncreated. The Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, and the Holy Ghost incomprehensible. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Ghost eternal. Somebody say, wow. See, see, here's the thing. This narrative, this thought about Jesus is something that we as believers should work to grasp. It's something that we as believers should endeavor to work through, to hang on to, something that we can, that we can look to to say, here is the narrative of what the gospel says about Jesus. It's one of the charges about be like those people who study the Bereans, that they're going to look at, read through, and then hold accountable what's said so that they can keep a firm grip on what they've heard, so that they can test what they hear, so that they know if another gospel is being preached. Come on, somebody. Like it's our duty to be diligent that we would be able to understand what's spoken to us. That way we can say, I'm not so sure about that. It's okay to do that. As much as maybe those on my side who would be speaking would feel the sting maybe sometimes of accountability, it's okay. It's okay. And yet in the moment that we, we get a hold of, in the New Testament, John writes in the first chapter of his gospel In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was made flesh, dwelt amongst us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's what I want you to take away. When people beheld Him, a statement is used several times about what they beheld, what they encountered. It's really powerful. Grace and truth. What they pooled and absorbed. Think about this. Grace and truth is what flowed from him to others. It's what he was. Think about the personhood of who he was and the representation of God the Father. Encountering in the moment those and giving to those what they needed in the moment. Think about all the encounters with Christ. The woman at the well, he knew who she was, right? The woman at the well, you're living with the man, oh, your husband, oh, it's true. This is is not your husband, you're living with him, you've had this many husbands. But what, what she needed at the moment, so she's probably bracing herself there for the moment, like, oh man, the whole city knows, I'm condemned, and that's not what he gives her. He speaks to the multitudes. It says that he looks over and he sees they're tired and weary and he had compassion on them. Let's feed these people grace and truth. Jesus knew in the moment and his message was. Now, if you think you knew it and you were going to hold him to something that wasn't to be, he was going to tell you. And he would have an objection. He He would get right to the issue of life, but it was truth. Pastor Larry said something to me years ago when I came on staff. I was here, I came on staff, and uh, Pastor Doug was getting ready to go on sabbatical, and so I had three months with Pastor Larry, our associate pastor. Man, I was just fired up, and man, I was bringing all these issues to Pastor Larry and and saying, man, we need to do this, and we need to do this, and how about this, Pastor Larry? And I remember sitting at a picnic table up up uh, by the water tower, up on the hill on Piner Way on the left, there's a little park up there. And I remember sitting at a picnic table with him, and, Pat, and I'm just telling Pastor Larry all this stuff, and he's kind of chuckling at me. He's laughing, like, <laughs> raul, raul, Oh, man. And I'm, and I'm giving him scenarios that, man, we got it, you know, the gospel, the gospel, you know, it's like, and I remember him saying to me, Raul, truth is like a funny medicine. Given in the right dose, at the right time, you can heal people. You can heal. But given in the wrong dose, at the wrong time, you can make somebody really sick. And I remember sitting back thinking, no, we're supposed to blast people with truth. (laughs) We're supposed to just level them, man. They'll get it. It's true. They need it. And I just remember over the years seeing that play out. Seeing that play out in my own life and how I interact, say, with my wife. Seeing that, how, how she interacts with me, how I interact with others. And it's true. Isn't it funny how in the moment of a conflict or the heat of a moment, all these truths begin to gurgle up about observations? It's like you seem to know exactly the faults of others in that heated moment. Come on. It's like, ah! But is that the right moment to just level it to them? Or maybe one thing. Pick one thing. But I just remember coming away, and I just, wisdom from people who've walked with God. I imagine that the journey of encountering Christ would be very similar to my encounter with Pastor Larry in that moment. I was a zealot, untamed, and Pastor Larry came alongside and was like, Raul, (laughs) settle down. (laughs) Settle down. Jesus loves you. Focus on that. You worry about you. Let the Holy Spirit minister to others. I thought grace and truth. I've I've carried that like I, I can't honestly say that I've heard I remembered too many phrases, from my encounters with Pastor Larry. But I tucked that one and it lodged in my heart, and forever changed the filter with which I try to. Say something to somebody or, or receive something from somebody. It's like, wow, that's, that's, that's powerful. You see, the thing, the thing about Jesus is grace and truth. And, and we need to look at, at how he interacted with people in this idea of, of the incarnation that, that he is uncreated, that he was first of firstborn. The scripture talks about in Colossians chapter 1. It says, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. This text, this whole narrative, the first chapter of Colossians, all of Colossians, is about the preeminence of Jesus. It's first, foremost. And when it uses the term firstborn, it isn't just talking about in the natural, the firstborn child or the one of birth first. It's it's a title of preeminence and honor. First. You can see that even in the Old Testament several times. It's a title of honor that's been bestowed. You can see it in Exodus and children of Israel and talk about that. Okay. Oh, Lord, Help me. I'm just going to skip something here. Okay. In the closing. Oh. I want you to take away a few things, and this is and I want to be obedient to the responsibility that I've been given. I want to lay out a few things for you of the importance of why we know that Jesus was God how that applies to us in our regular life, and then some principles about the attributes about who he was. What did, what did it mean in his divineness or the deity of Jesus? What did it mean? Well, is that he's eternal. Jesus is eternal, that it's forever, before the world was and after the world world will be that Jesus possess the attributes that are eternal, that he's omnipresent in Matthew twenty-eight twenty, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you and lo I'm with you always even into the end of the age that he's everywhere all the time all present we would say omnipresent that he's omniscient that he's all knowledgeable Colossians 2 3 in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge we're talking about Jesus if you want a good narrative of who Jesus was Read the book of Colossians. It's a good primer. It's a good starting. It's a good entryway. It's about the preeminence of Jesus. And first and foremost, that he's all knowledgeable, that he's omnipotent. Always the same. John 5, 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. That that is the course with which he'll take. That he always is following God the Father and they're in union. The same, that he's immutable. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why these? Why these? Because it's what the scripture says of him. And if we as believers understand that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that these attributes of him are godlike. Then it begins to it begins to shape the narrative in our heart and mind of the importance of who he was, that we can recognize that he had this he suffered the conditions of humanity. The importance that we cannot dismiss his existence having importance in our lives just because we are going through something of deeper magnitude. Oh, God wouldn't understand. Jesus wouldn't understand. Yes, he would. Scriptures laid out a narrative of the things that Jesus walked through, that he would know the sufferings of man, that he willingly came and laid his life down. The purpose in Philippians that Therefore that God exalted him above every name so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We believe that Jesus was God. That he was obedient to come and lay his life down in obedience to God for the redemption of man. And the forgiveness of their sin. Whoa. You did this in obedience to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish. But have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. You see a theme here? A stream. Jesus is Preeminent. All of creation. He was before he created first and he's foremost. He's the attributes of God. He was the image of Father God to us. If you encountered him, you encountered God. It was well written, well described for our consumption. I encourage us today that we would be students who consume the story of God so that we can behold Him in the narrative that's given to us. It's what we would call the Bible. That we would rightly understand that because of who He was, we have a mission as people who've encountered grace and truth. And that mission is to proclaim the gospel to the people around us. To proclaim the gospel to our friends, to our coworkers, to our family, to the people around us, that we could Allow Jesus to work through us to them. See, the message of the gospel is that he loves his creation. And there's hope for humanity.